This podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, who makes it easy and fun to simply step outside. That might mean breaking a speed record in a rugged, built-for-fun sonic snow tube, walking an extra block in a warm, weather-resistant down jacket, or just taking a breath on your doorstep before cozying up in a quilted sweatshirt. For however you experience the outdoors, shop clothing and gear at llbean.com. Be an outsider. The dizzying thrum of the water-powered textile mills in Lowell, Massachusetts, drowns out everything else. It is, in a word, deafening. So much so that the floor of the mill vibrates with intense ferocity. Set along the Merrimack River, its tributaries and canals, the city of Lowell had easy access to great quantities of rushing water to power the many mills of the city which led to its swift success in the early days of the American Industrial Revolution. Dams were constructed to redirect the water of the Merrimack River from its natural flow to the textile mills. Enormous amounts of fabric emerged from the weaving looms, ready to be fashioned into end products to fulfill the growing needs of a growing country. The very nature of life in the young United States of America was on the cusp of change, and Lowell was a driving force behind this evolution from agriculture to industry, transitioning from rural homes to urban companies and urban living, the modernizing of a country and its society. Today, of course, we have evolved beyond the marvel of factories transforming the landscape and economy of an entire country. But here in Massachusetts, the city of Lowell was at the heart of a modern society in the form of industrial innovation and production. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on the America's National Parks podcast, Lowell National Historical Park and the women who made it work. Lowell's Old Boot Cotton Mill is now a museum, housing 80 or so functional power cotton looms in the weave room. These looms from the 1920s still weave cotton cloth as part of the immersive experience of the park. Although they represent the latter part of Lowell's industrial history, it's an impressive slice of a bygone time that shaped our country and the way we live today. The park serves as a time capsule of the American Industrial Revolution over the course of several centuries. But there's a story within a story at Lowell, and it's charged toward forward progress, the changing role of women in early American society. Lowell opened up the opportunity for women to seek employment outside the home in roles other than domestic work. Factory work and living in Lowell dormitories were an early step toward the independence of American women. Lowell's influence on the role of women in America continued for over a century. Here's Abigail. Although the textile companies in Lowell were owned and managed by men, the majority of the work spinning and weaving cloth fell under the domain of women's work. 
Never in the country's short history had a workforce of women, many still just girls, become such a necessity. And because the actual production of textile goods depended on their faithful service, women would become an important, although underpaid, part of the Industrial Revolution and subsequent advances in society, from labor reform to social reform. Procuring female loom workers was a serious undertaking. To date, there had never been such a need, and it was necessary to sow the seeds to cultivate the supply of labor. Advertisements began appearing in newspapers and on posters. 75 young women from 15 to 35 years of age wanted to work in the cotton mills. The ad specified the pay, $1 per week and duration of commitment, one year except in sickness. Many young women made their way to Lowell for employment, seeking wages away from the scrutiny of their families. They contributed to the income of the family back home without remaining under daily influence of the men of their households, their fathers and brothers. It was an opportunity many had never imagined. The ability to make their own decisions, to toil during the day and have the rest of their time free from household chores when they could perhaps form friendships outside the family circle and its immediate contacts, or partake in the offerings of the city, however limited that might be for unescorted young women in the 1800s. Certainly the independence of the women workers, officially called operatives, but commonly known as the mill girls, was limited. And they didn't truly live on their own. They didn't have apartments where they ate and slept in their own sphere of autonomy. They lived in boarding house dormitories, part of the Lowell Industrial Compound. Sleeping two to a bed between four and eight women shared each bedroom, with a total of about 40 people per boarding house. Each boarding house had a matron, hired by a mill agent who kept a watchful eye, monitoring behavior, easing the transition from family life to urban group housing, and encouraging religious observance. The older mill workers, housed in close proximity to the adolescent girls who were also hired on at the mills, helped with the transition as new girls arrived. So although the mill girls achieved a physical separation from their parents, the boarding house provided mother-like figures who still played a guiding role in their lives. But jobs at the textile mills enabled young women to strike out on their own, earn money to send home to their families, and hold a little bit of their earnings aside for themselves. This opened up a whole new aspect of the local economy. Female wage earners with pocket change to be spent on things other than necessities. Still, the work was grueling. Not so much from heavy physical exertion, but the constant din of the weaving looms, the monotony of the work, and the long 13-hour days that stretched from 5.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the evening. They took their toll. Unrest was coming to Lowell's women, and they'd been given a platform for their voices. Labor magazines. Publications such as the Lowell Offering were written by the mill workers, mostly women, and often managed and funded by the mill corporations. Early articles such as The Pleasure of Factory Work extolled the advantages of mill work and created a wholesome image that cast the mills in a positive light. As conditions changed, attitudes changed with them. The excitement and newness of factory work and living away from home had worn off. The women were tired of being overworked, underpaid, and being called unwomanly Amazons by the factory owners. 
The first labor strike occurred in 1834 following a 12.5% pay cut due to a sluggish textile market. 800 women walked out of the mills, taking to the streets. They did not win their demands, but they set the stage for future strikes. A second strike, two years later, came about as the fee for room and board increased with no accompanying increase in salary. This time, over a thousand women walked out and continued to strike for months until the boarding house companies reversed their fee hike. The punishment for the boarding houses and their agents, although not swift, was harsh. Not all escaped with a simple decrease in fees. Some of the major textile firms severed their relationships with the boarding houses in question. As technology advanced, large-scale machinery increased production and profits along with them. The textile companies experienced double-digit annual profit growth. The workers, on the other hand, received pay cuts and increased workday hours. Corporate greed began to flourish, and the mill girls, with no share of the escalating profits, noticed. In 1842, Lowell's Middlesex Manufacturing Company announced a 20% pay cut, leading to a labor conflict in which 70 women walked off the job. The strike was unsuccessful, but the foundation for labor reform had been expanded, and two years later, the Lowell Female Labor Reform Association was founded, drawing up petitions to reduce the workday to 10 hours and submitting them to the Massachusetts legislature. The women had underestimated the power of the mill corporations, and the legislatures refused to pass the conditions of the petition. But the wheels of change were already turning, and there was no turning back. Pamphlets began to appear, along with a lecture series for mill workers, accusing the mill owners of causing the workers' premature decay of both body and intellect. The women's movement centered in Lowell caused the world, or at least the industrial community, to take notice women were using their voices to campaign for themselves, for their social rights, and the workplace was to be no exception. As their ability to assemble and petition grew, they secured a shorter workday regulation, albeit only reduced to 11 hours per day. More serious and independent labor publications began to surface, such as The Voice of the Industry, which didn't fall under the control of the textile firms. The flavor of the articles began to change, with the separation of the mill owners from the publication and their women labor writers. Instead of articles touting the pleasures of mill work, headlines read, Inequality, Higher Dividends, Lower Wages, Is This Just? Consenting to be Robbed, and The Condition of the Operatives. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. 
Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. Strong working women from the Lowell textile mills grew into a powerhouse of a women's rights movement. Expanding beyond the campaign for better working conditions in the mill, Lowell's women shifted their focus to women's suffrage. In 1910, the Massachusetts Women's Suffrage Movement held its annual convention in Lowell, bolstered by years of labor reform actions. The women of Lowell knew to look beyond the female population for support, enlisting the help of powerful men who believed in empowering women. They looked beyond their local communities for lessons that could be learned from states that had already launched successful women's suffrage movements, as well as foreign countries such as Norway, Finland, and Australia, where women had already earned the right to vote in their march toward the 19th Amendment. Lowell served as the cradle of women's civic activism in America starting back in the 1830s. Early leaders in the Lowell women's labor reform movement became regional and national leaders for women's rights. The experiences of generations of women earning some measure of independence in the textile mills propelled forth a women's rights movement that has brought us to where we are today. Yet with so much work still ahead of us. Lowell National Historical Park is a preservation of the textile industry, and in particular, the cotton mill industry. Scattered through the city streets, many buildings and geographic features constitute the park. In addition to the Boot Cotton Mills Museum, visitors can walk the city streets, stroll along the canals in the riverside, which is flanked with maple and paper birch trees tour the Suffolk Mill and see its gigantic turbines, participate in guided tours, view the film Wheels of Change, or ride the river on the pontoon boat Francis Cabot Lowell. The six miles of canals dug in the 1800s to power the textile mills still remain functional today and are a contributing factor to Lowell's designation as a National Historical Park. The health of the park's waterways, which had deteriorated during the height of the Industrial Revolution to the point that they could no longer sustain populations of native fish or riverside plants, has been restored. A highlight of a summer trip to Lowell can be the Northern Canal Walkway, which includes a 36-foot high granite wall that separates the Northern Canal from the Merrimack River. The park also offers a number of public activities as part of its Wellness on the Walkways series, such as on plein air drawing, yoga, scavenger hunts, birding, and nature walks. A visit can be paired with other New England units of the National Park Service. A weekend excursion could include New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park, the Roger Williams National Memorial, the Blackstone River Valley National Historical Park, along with Lowell for a robust look at the industrial history of the region. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. 
narrated by Abigail Trebu and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. We hope you'll consider supporting us through our Patreon program for less than a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash national parks podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search national park podcast. You can also join our America's national parks, Facebook group, nearly a hundred thousand members strong. If you're interested in RV travel, check us out at rvmiles.com or find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys as our wandering family all across social media. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium. Find thousands of campsites in the U.S. and Canada for your national park adventure at Campendium.com.